And we are live. Welcome. Um, a little bit later than uh, expected. This is Mark Littlewood from the Business Software and BLM. And I'm joined today by the very excellent Dwayne Jackson. Hiya. So it's magic, um, Dwayne. All you need to do is speak and the uh, camera switches to you. Okay. Hello. Um, Dwayne, um, known you for a number of years, uh, ran a company called Cashflow. Um, had a fantastic um, interview or talk with you at um, the Business and Software Europe conference this year. Um, and a lot of people had you know, incredibly positive things to say about some of the, some of the insights you had into the um, process around building a SaaS business, but also some of the um, things that you've, you've kind of been through in your journey. Do you want to kind of give us just a, a quick sort of one minute, two minute overview of where you've come and where you are now? Yeah, of the journey. So it's oh. certainly um, either colourful or non-traditional are usually the phrases that are used. So I, I grew up in the east end of London, um, kicked out of a couple of schools. I was in children's homes from the age of about 11. Uh, left school at 15 with no qualifications um, and ended up in prison when well, I was drug trafficking. Um, got caught. Um, so done some time in the States, brought back to the UK, served a five-year prison sentence here. Um, on my release, realised I'm not going to be able to get a job. So the only option really was to start my own business and I got a lot of help from the Prince's Trust to do that. Um, started as a one-man web developer and realised all accounting software was absolute crap. Um, so I decided to build something for myself. And it actually took, I'm a bit embarrassed about how long it took to realise, hang on, I should be selling this software rather than selling my time for the hour. But eventually, thankfully, realised that. Um, and that became um, cash flow. And that, that grew um, incrementally. There was no massive sort of overnight success or anything. It was just incremental growth. Um, and that grew and grew through to, um, so this was 2004, 2005. And then two years ago in 2000. And 13, um, I sold the business to a company called Iris. Um, I've been unemployed and unemployable since. You were always unemployable, Dwayne. Yeah. <laughs> That's the secret of being an entrepreneur, is you work yourself into unemployability. And maybe you just very were very successful in doing that very early. Um, well, I have to say, I, I, um, I noticed that there's a the guy, I don't know if you follow, Startup Jackson. Yes, Startup Bill Jackson puts himself out as a bit of a kind of a gangster. Yeah. It strikes me that you uh, you should you should be doing the real deal there. Probably, my middle name's L and surname's Jackson. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Um, you're you're being slightly disingenuous when you say you're unemployed and unemployable. You're um, you're doing something, you've got a new thing on the go, haven't you? Yeah, I mean when I look there, I think it's Sarah Lace that wrote, once you're, once you're lucky, twice you're good. At the moment, I'm lucky, and I'm trying to prove that I'm good to myself more than to anyone else. Mm. And I'm doing something a second time. Um, so I spent time looking at why I was cash flow successful, and I think a large part of it was it came from um, solving a problem that I had myself, so I understood the problem, and a real problem that was out there. It was a painkiller, not a vitamin. Um, and one of the things I really struggled with at cash flow was keeping my chairman up to date. Um, on what was going on, that process every month of sending them an email. I remember opening an email, typing his address, and then stare at a blank page, and it's difficult to know where to start, and it's so much easier to, <laughs> to, to fix some bugs or phone some customers. Um, 
But even when I did send him his updates, they'd be um, inconsistent in terms of what they covered. So I might not mention marketing for ages, or I might not report on what we're aiming to do this, and then that just disappears. So I built something um, totally free um, called Updates, so update with an S at the beginning, short for shareholder updates, that makes that process of reporting almost without you having to think about it, it prompts you through small steps and at the end of it you get a nice looking report. Um, yeah. But more importantly, it, it means you can be consistent in what you're reporting on. Um, and it's it, a reporting wizard and it, it, um, it does a very good job. I mean, I've, I've um, had a look at it and had a play with it and I think it, it does do a really, really good job of giving you prompts for all the things that People want to know. Presumably. Yeah, it's getting better every every, every yeah. week we're releasing new features, so it's, it's gradually getting better bit by bit. And the plan is to give it away forever. Yeah, certainly at the moment, I think. I mean, I've looked at who else is doing this kind of thing. There are other companies doing it, and they charge a fortune for it. And the reality is, I think the the basic functionality, if you charge for it, it will become too much barrier, and people wouldn't use it. So certainly, we've got the what we've got at the moment is free, and will always be free. Um, there will be, I think, a chargeable model later on, whether that be that we charge for you to be able to give you access to more people on your team, whether it becomes a, a investor Q&A platform. I mean, I hear time and time again from people that are using it, they get the same question back from seven different investors when they send out an update. So maybe that side of it will build something for and charge. But the basic functionality as it stands, that's free and will remain free. Fantastic. So you're doing something, and this is something you've done twice. You launched a, launched a product in a very well, I mean, almost a mature market in the kind of software accounting um, market. Basically, was Sage in yep. the UK when you when you um, started um, Cashflow. I think there are a couple of things going into a market where there's lots of established stuff and you need this complicated system because accounts are complicated and you need to have them understand. You're producing a much simpler system. Mm-hmm. What, are the, what are the kind of pros and the cons in your view of, you know, and how do you play this? Because this puts you in the same position as virtually every other startup. Sure. As a, as With the account. A less, less sophisticated proposition in a very established market. How the heck do you even yeah. go about making? Firstly, I, I disagree that the proposition is less sophisticated. Um, and even the outputs from the system, at the end of the day, cash. if we look at cash flow, I disagree that Subdate is in a crowded market, but cash flow and accounting, definitely. If mm. we look at the outputs of your accounting software, it's your, your VAT return and, and then the stuff, P&L, balance sheets, keep your accountant happy. Cash, the outputs from cash flow were the same as the outputs from Sage. What was different was the inputs. We made the inputs a lot simpler. Um, and I think that's actually where the opportunity is rather than it being a problem. But where it becomes a problem is when you then deal with the, the professionals in that market. So for us at Cashflow, it was the accountants. And the accountants would take one look at our system and, 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 and write it off as being a bit Mickey Mouse because of the terminology we use. So for a business owner, um, you keep your receipts because you want to get your money back. But an account, <laughs> the accountant tells me it's not a receipt, it's a purchase invoice. A receipt is when you receive money in your sales invoice. Technically true, but business owners just don't care. They just want something that's intuitive. Um, so yeah, when you simplify this stuff that's already full of jargon, it's the professionals that you it took a long time to win over. 
And ultimately, yeah. we only won them over because they were losing clients. They said, well, either you switch to helping with cash flow or I'll find another accountant. I think that, um, well, I think that sort of gets to the kind of nature of what I was, what I was trying to kind of look at here. I mean, this classic disruptive proposition, you're just, you're, you're ignored by the incumbents at the start and at the end of it, you know, they're suddenly kind of, oh shit, where did these guys come from and, and, and what have they done? Um, and so you're, I mean, I guess sort of just trying to understand your approach, you, your focus in terms of the marketing for cash flow was very much end user entrepreneurs. Yeah, and we, to start with, we went too far with that. So I remember the first the first advertising we did, we sent out um, 10,000 leaflets that, and the headline was, accounting software designed for you, not your accountant. And we got pretty much zero uptake from it because although the SMEs want something they can use, they don't want something that's going to alienate their accountant. So they're not going to go out and buy and start using something that says on it, this isn't for your accountant. So it is treading a fine line of that makes your life easy, but your accountant's going to be happy with it as well. And that's why to us, it was important to get the accountants on side. And we spent a lot of uh, time and energy doing that. And it worked in the end. But ultimately, you do need to have these people, the accountants on side. But it's um, an education job, I guess, which is expensive yeah. and time consuming. And presumably accountants make a reasonable, they have an, a revenue stream from Sage or whoever they're using as accounting packages. Did you have to kind of adjust your incentives to the accountants to recommend the, the system or do you have to kind of take that on board? Or? Yeah, we, we thought so. Um, so we introduced um, discount licenses or commission, whichever way you want to cut it for the accountants. Um, and some of them were funny about it because they have to declare to their client if they're getting commission from it. Um, but when we done some, once we'd built it a little bit and we had a few accountants there, we hadn't really hit on um, a sales model or an onboarding model that really worked for the yeah. account. We spent a lot of time talking to the few hundred that we had yeah. and to work out why were they using it. And actually the, the, the tax incentive they got for it was way down on their list. And it's an analogy I keep using when I talk about this. It was like, you walk down the street and you give a couple of quid to everyone you passed, they're not that fast, but you get to the end of the street and you've spent a lot of money. So we looked <laughs> and that was money we didn't need to be paying them. So we actually stopped um, that program and stopped paying accountants to recommend the software and instead spent that money that we saved on helping them get their clients on board. So yeah, we thought we had to compete with um, the yeah. you they were getting elsewhere, but actually as long as it was making their life easier, they were happy with it. Oh, fantastic. That's really, that's very interesting. And, and did you think that sort of changes? Because you kind of left the business at the point where it was starting to really kind of go after the accounting support um, market. Is that, is that, I mean, that would be my sense as a, as a customer. Yeah. Um, we were changing accountants at the time, and both of the accountants that we were talking to said, yeah, we've just got cash flow on board and we're using it and it's this great thing and I was like I've been telling you this for six years yeah um, so there's clearly I mean Iris have I mean Iris had a great connection into the accounting community presumably they're yeah. kind of pushing that as much as they can yeah I mean 50% of the accountants in the UK use their software which is um, so you always get these these exit blog posts from founders about how it's a, it's a great match and, and of course they then quickly run off just like I did but it was a great match for us. 50% of the accountants in the UK use their um, accountants' products already. So actually, it was a really good fit for us. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, I'm going to pick a couple of questions um, in from 
members of the audience. Okay. Um, so this one I really quite like. How long did it take you to realize you had a good product? Um, a good product or a good business is it? <laughs> things, aren't they? We'll go with a good product to start. Well, I knew I had a good product straight away because this goes back to what I was saying about solving my own problem. Um, rather than having to keep going out to customers and say, well, what do you want us to add? What about this? What about that? I built it for my own needs. So before I actually started building a product, I knew it would be a good product because I knew it would be needed. Um, and it wasn't just me. It was dozens of other startups that I knew personally that had the same problem. They'd all tried to use Sage, QuickBooks, and gone back to Word or Excel. So I knew I had a product, a good product, or was building a good product from the outset. Um, and I think that's important, um, especially if you are building a painkiller, not a vitamin. You need to know that you're building the right thing. Um, but to answer the question that wasn't asked was when did I know I had a good business? Mm. Um, about two years after launching, someone offered me, um, well, I'd, I was at a, um, a Prince's Trust lunch, and there's a guy there called another Jackson, Michael Jackson. Uh, oh, yeah, surely. Oh, he, Sage, um, in fact, wasn't he? He's what, sorry? He was Sage originally. Yes, yeah, he was chairman there yep. for um, 20 years, and then he moved on to party gaming and elsewhere. But afterwards, I got an email from his PA saying, oh, Michael would love you to come in for a chat. So I replied, being my usual cocky self, like, well, yeah, if he wants to tell me what about, I might, might come in. <laughs> uh, he said, oh, we just find you and the business interesting and um, would like to have a chat. So I thought, okay, I'll go along. So I went along for a meeting, and he doesn't really do small talk. So after about 30 seconds of talking about the weather, he's like, right, I want to buy the business. I'll give you a million pounds for it. Um, and considering we were uh, probably in the hundreds of pounds recurring revenue a month, never mind the thousands, I was a bit right. Of course, my immediate response was, well, it isn't for sale. He said, well, of course it is. Everything's for sale. It's a question of how much. And I said, well, it needs to be at least double that. I need, <laughs> and I need to cover the tax bill. So he, and I remember it was the same month that the iPhone 3 came out, and he, he had one. So he got his iPhone out, tapped on the calculator, and said, okay. So George Mini, okay, so 2.3 million. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> My shareholder, who was Lord Jung, um, I'll have to talk to him about it and get back to you. And then Lord Jung and I sat down and done the forecast and could see why Michael was willing to pay that kind of money. Yeah. And that, I think, was when it hit me that um, I had a, a good business that was worth some money. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. Um, so Paul Kenny says, um, besides the money, um, what were the reasons you decided to sell the business when you did? Um, so there was quite a few. And it may just be about the money, in which case that's fine. No, the money is a huge part of it. I and mean, that was certainly the, not even the icing on the cake. It was the deciding factor was we were offered a, a, a lot of money. So sticking with the money for a moment, if I looked at how much they were paying us and the premium Iris were paying because it was such a perfect fit with what they do, I felt I could have, if they bought someone else and they were going to buy somebody, then two, three years later, I could have sold cash flow to somebody else for the same amount of money. Mm. Um, but besides the money, which was by far the biggest reason, um, one was um, the key to the future of building cash flow was cracking the accountants' market. And that's not fun. I like working with SMEs and small businesses yeah. and, and cracking that market. So I didn't see the future would be as much fun as it had been today. Um, secondly, it had started to get really competitive. I mean, as we've seen, zero. Whenever I mention what I do to someone, they go, "Oh, like zero. Zero's the, the name in, in the industry." Yeah. As I thought they would be. And two years ago, you could see them on that trajectory. And same yeah. with the agent. Um, 
And I think Sage have upped their game. I expected Intuit to. It doesn't look like they have. So really, the external stuff, the competition, which importantly was stuff I couldn't control. I had no control over that. Um, so that was the reasons for um, taking the offer. Cool. Um, so great sort of follow-up to that, which is around the, the process. Um, so Georgette says, um, with your relationship with Lord Young, and I think it's something you mentioned in your interview, um, he said, don't put yourself on the yacht. Yes. Um, what, what did he mean by that? And, and did you manage to resist? Yeah, so what he meant by that was he told me, um, so he helped build great universal stores uh, who made a lot of acquisitions as they grew. And we're going back 40, 50 years here. Um, and his approach to buying companies was there'd be a company that they were willing to pay two million for. They'd go along to the, the main shareholder and offer them five million, um, mm. which of course the main shareholder accepts. He works out how he's spending the money. After due diligence, they reduced the offer to two million, which is what they were only willing to pay in the first place. And the shareholders that were going to get the money, they've already in their head mentally checked out, mentally put themselves on the yacht. And the mm. money that they'd get at two million is still enough to do that. Um, and because they're already on the yacht, they're not in the boardroom anymore, they take the offer. So he was saying, well, if you do, don't put yourself on the yacht. Um, so yeah, there was two questions. What did he mean by it? And, oh, and did I manage to? Did he manage to resist yeah. completely? Yeah. <laughs> um, if we go back to 2011, I think, mm -hmm. I actually, we went through due diligence with another company that was going to buy us um, for about a third of what I ended up selling for in the end but I was happy with that valuation at the time for various reasons um, and it actually got to sign in the SPA when I found a, a pretty nasty clause in there and because I hadn't put myself in the yacht I could tell them to do one and walk away from yeah. it I think my wife had put herself on the yacht which made it a bit harder when I got <laughs> but yeah that advice served me really well and served him well yeah and you but your wife's done okay as well in the end yeah, yeah. And, um, congratulations by the way on your pride of Britain thing that must have been Pretty cool, and uh, well, I mean, I think it's great. Number one, that you acknowledged um, your wife, because you know, I think partners are a massive thing in any kind of entrepreneurial journey, and they're often, often um, overlooked. But it's also quite cool getting a standing ovation from David Beckham. I'd imagine. Yeah, it wasn't too bad, was it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At last, right. I impressed my twelve-year-old. Yeah. Well, how did they feel about it? What were they saying? And they were really proud of it, and it was nice because I've been to sort of I've had various business awards over the years, um, which is don't get me wrong, it's nice and often down to what the team have built. Um, but mm. this was a much more personal award, and because my wife was there and my daughter was there, mm. um, yeah, I think it's the first time I've seen that they were quite proud of, or, or, or explicitly quite proud of what I was yeah. doing or had yeah. done. And I think oh, for the daughter as well, it clicked for the first time because my young, well, my middle one, six-year-old, just doesn't get what the fuss is all about. Yeah. But I think for my eldest, um, I think that was when it actually clicked um, more about yeah. where it come from. And they got to come along and see people. And were there any particular um, people they were excited about meeting? Um, well, if you go by the, the number of selfies, uh, there's a few dozen selfies of my eldest with Joey Essex <laughs> and David Beckham or anyone else that was there. <laughs> Excellent. What a fantastic time. Um, okay, let's get back to um, selling out and the, and the um, so actually there were a couple of, uh, a couple of other questions. Up rather than selling out, it sounds a lot nicer. Selling up, selling on, yeah. Um, 
<laughs> how are you going to fund Subdate? Is it going to be your thing? And Yeah. I mean, the thing is, if I looked at somebody else that was doing this kind of thing, they'd have a deck and they were going out raising, they'd be raising a couple of hundred K to get it off the ground. <laughs> and I don't understand why. I don't understand where these costs come from yeah. to get something started. Um, the costs I've spent, I've, so I've put time into the project. But it's, it's about 10 grand I've spent so far. And that's like from myself a new Mac. I've got to put that through as an expense. Um, paying some uh, developers I know that are much better than me to go over a lot of the code and help me with some of the foundations. I don't see why it's so bloody expensive. Um, and then there's the running costs as well, which again, a few hundred quid a month to Microsoft. Um, there aren't huge costs there. Yeah. Are you not even on the um, Spark program? Um, we were, but I think that's expired. But that was incredibly useful, especially for building cash flow. Yeah, uh, probably another good reason for selling cash flow as well was that, that was coming to an end of a gas Fantastic! I think you can sign up with different companies. I should, I should do actually. Shouldn't I? I shouldn't be so blasé about these costs. I should go and do that. So yeah. if, if it hasn't been useful for anyone else, this this hangout's been useful for me. Uh, there you go. Well, then the other one, I think Rackspace have a similar um, hosting yeah. program. So, um, and they are. I mean, you had. I think you had Rackspace hosted. At, sorry, Cashflow hosted at Rackspace. We did. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think if I was building it from the ground up today, I'd, I'd have made it a bit more agnostic about where it could be hosted and would have put it on a, a different platform. It'd be interesting mm -hmm. to see how Rackspace develop their offering over the next few years. Mm. Well, you know, they've just done their deal with Amazon. AWS, which I think is a fantastically innovative. If you look at kind of innovation and in business models, and you look at where Rackspace, Amazon were kind of competing head to head almost four or five years ago in terms of number of um, hosted companies. But um, I mean, the service has a cost, and I think people are finding that on both sides. I mean, I think Amazon are finding that they have high demand clients. So they don't want to have anything to do with yeah, them and they'll host them, but uh, service them, I think it's a great... A very sensible partnership, definitely. Mm. So the three things that you're going to do with Subdate that you've learned from Cashflow, and what are your sort of three golden rules of building a SaaS business? Um, so one is looking after the code base. Um, so even this week, I spent most of my time deleting code rather than writing new code and written. <laughs> Because when you look at the cash flow um, code base seven, eight years after it was first written, it was a nightmare to work with. And that's because it had been poorly designed from the outset. I sort of just f flown right into it without really structuring the code properly. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't designed to be easily changed. Um, and a lot of that's because a lot of best practices weren't around in 2003, 2004. Yeah. Um, it so was more exploration, I think, at that stage. It's certainly high on the list is to to look after the code properly. The second is not building stuff we don't need to. Um, and again, using cash flow, um, when we wanted to change our model, when we're looking at adding multiple user and charging for it, it was a nightmare because of our home rolled billing system. And actually, yeah. our, our home rolled billing system was a nightmare. Full stop. Is more code to maintain. So uh, when, once we get to that point with Subdate, I think I'll be looking at Chargeify or, or, or some of the Stripe features they've got and let them deal with all of that. So yeah, don't go right. So you would do that with Stripe rather than the third-party payment provider, 
just to manage the kind of subscription and the because I mean there's a bunch of these aren't there I mean you've got um, I mean there are any number of all there, there are a lot of them and I looked at a lot of them when we decided to move out to that at cash flow um, mm. but yeah and, and there are still so many moving parts but there's the there's a billing provider which is actually the easy bit it can be the expensive bit but you've actually you've then got as you say there the mechanism of billing people every month and updating yeah. who's paid and not paid and that's the part that we wrote ourselves we didn't try and write our own payment provider we interfaced with somebody else yeah there's that whole mechanism of dealing with the monthly up uh, monthly updates to your database was mm -hmm. and, and also changes and pro rata when people want to add a user mid-month and stuff like that you don't want to be dealing with that no that's only two, isn't it? You're going to need a third one. And the third one, which I think everyone knows now, which is the whole, how important the UI UX side of things is. Um, yeah. and, and something I got wrong, especially for the first half of Cashflow's life, was not gave that enough attention. Um, and then we finally got somebody in that overhauled that. Uh, we've done a brilliant job of it. But yeah, that was something that was neglected early on. And I think when you're a technical founder, um, you think most of your problems can be solved by new code, uh, yeah. not necessarily new HTML or CSS code. That's really interesting you say that. Because, I mean, there are a couple of things that, I mean, just as a user, always make me smile about using cash flow. And the classic one is the VAT and tax. And there's a little picture of a robber, basically, yeah. with a big bag of scrap on his back. Um, you know, and so just those little things which are so uncorporate and make like a massive difference really kind of appeal to people. I think a lot of that kind of feeds into something that you've alluded to in conversations before, which I love being a customer of cash flow. Not so much now. Of course. Now it's a big company and it's all sold up and all the rest of it. But no, I mean, I genuinely love being a customer because I feel like I'm working with a company that understands my issues, mm -hmm. I'm an entrepreneur, um, but it just made stuff easier. It just made things so much simpler to understand. And there's no way I would have gone from 